this past Friday, uh, I don't turn the TV on a lot. I, I, I was doing some other things, and so it, it was probably 3 o'clock, and I turned the TV on. And unless you've been in some other world, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, sometime Friday morning, a young man went into uh, an elementary school, Sandy Hook Elementary in Connecticut, and, and, and just began to shoot. I don't know how it affected you, but it, it, I just began to cry. I mean, I didn't have the TV on. I, I, I saw, I, I realized, okay, this is not when the news is supposed to be on, and and and, and I, I knew something was wrong. And then I kept seeing elementary school, elementary school. And then I, I saw, when I saw the number of children flash, and then the next time it, it was bigger and bigger, I just began to cry. I may cry before I get through saying what I want to say. I got a five-year-old granddaughter. You know, it just, it hit me right here like a ton of bricks. Um, I don't know why things like that happen, okay? I do know this, there's a, there's a devil, okay? And his destroy is to kill, steal, and destroy. I don't know what makes a young man or or a young woman snap and do those things. But as I, as I, as I watched that, and, and to be honest with you, I, I didn't watch it very long. I just can't watch it. I turned it on the TV on this morning, and I really didn't want to hear any preachers. Okay, I figured I was going to have to listen to myself. That'd be enough for today. And so, uh, gosh, it was on, and, and to make matters worse, they were beginning to, to flash pictures of those, those babies. And, and, you know, and it's just... It's just more than, I can't imagine the parents and the grandparents and, and the people that live in, in uh, Newtown. And, and God reminded me, and I'm not going to preach, this is not going to be the passage that I'm going to preach out of, but it's going to be the passage that, uh, that probably, uh, it's the passage that's kind of grabbed hold of me, but. Maybe it'll explain. Uh, God just kept reminding me of this passage of Scripture. And it's found, it won't be on the screen, but it's found in Ezekiel. It's found in chapter 22. In chapter 22, basically God recites the sins of Israel to Ezekiel, to the prophet. And and he begins to to talk about the sins of Jerusalem. And he talks about the sins of the leaders of Jerusalem. And then he, in verse 30, he says these words. In 1997, these words just grabbed me, okay? And and they continue to hold on to me. And they continue to be uh, part of what drives me in ministry. That have caused me to do some of the things that I've done. But God speaks to Ezekiel and he says this. I looked for someone. Who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap of the wall. Well, we do have it. I read it out of the New Living Translation. But this is, the, this is how I memorized. I searched for a man. Or, or by extension a woman. Among them who would build up the wall. Who would. Not could. Not should. But who would. Somebody who would step forward. And build up the wall. Somebody to stand in the gap. Folks, I don't know if you realize this or not. But the protective covering of God is lifting off this nation. Okay, now I'm not a gloom and doom. I don't look at this event and that event. But I'm going to tell you what. You've you, you got to be living in, somewhere, in a cave somewhere to not realize that if you put everything together, there's something going on. Okay? There's something going on. I believe that God is, has, has lifted His hand up a little bit. Okay? I believe God is, is sending... I don't believe God causes these things. Okay? So don't, don't get that. I, I, I don't believe that. But when the protective covering lifts, everything else rushes in underneath it. That's what happened in Israel. Study your Old Testament. Study the New Testament. What took place... Uh, in Jerusalem in the New Testament in 70 A.D. Study that. 
God said, I looked for a man, looked for a woman who would build up the wall and stand in the gap. In other words, the walls of our country, I believe, have become, they're breached. Okay? The enemy has battered and battered and battered and battered and battered and battered until he's found a weak place and he's concentrated his forces in it. Okay, that, that's, that's the way the, uh, the enemies in, in a, the ancient world, they would lay siege to a city. I, I watched a, a movie last night uh, called The Kingdom of God. It's about the Crusades. Uh, I'm not recommending, so don't go out and rent it, okay? I, it, it was a good movie for me. It, it had a message. But it, it, it talks about the, uh, the, 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 the conquering of, of Jerusalem in the Middle Ages after the, the uh, Crusaders had taken back Jerusalem from the from the Muslims, it talks about it shows how the Muslims came back and how they laid siege to Jerusalem, and, and that's the picture. As, as I was watching that, I, it was just it was it was almost like a spiritual picture in my mind of what's taking place. The enemy's looking for weak places, and folks, I want you to understand something. God will not judge this nation because of the sins of people who don't know Him. He will judge this nation because we as the church did not stand up, because we did not pray. Because we didn't cry out. We didn't, we didn't push our way to the front and say, you know what, I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going to give my life for this country, and I'm going to do what God says, and I'm going to pray. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If what happened Friday in that elementary school doesn't make you get on your knees and pray, you, you need to check your salvation, okay? I've prayed and prayed and cried and prayed and I see a parent and, and, and I, I, I can't imagine what they're going through. God is still looking for men and women who will build up the wall and who will stand in the gap. To me, the saddest words, some of the saddest words of all Scripture are found at the end of verse 30. God says, I look for somebody to build it up. Somebody to stand in that gap. But, I found no one. If you know the history, and if you've you've ever been to church a a great deal, you've heard uh, what happened. But, Jerusalem fell. 586. It fell. It was destroyed. There wasn't a stone left on another stone. The people were either killed or they were carried into slavery. And for 70 years it lay desolate. Nothing there but jackals and, 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 and wild donkeys. And folks, if we don't pray, if we don't pray, our children won't have a country to live in. Okay, and I'm, like I said, I'm not here to frighten you. I'm just being realistic. There, there are mornings and days when we need to say, you know what? We're in a heap of trouble. It's not this party or that party. They're not going to bring salvation to this nation. Okay? Maybe they can work together a little bit better, but even if they work together, they're not going to solve the problems. The problems can only be solved by God. And I've been sharing with you the last few weeks what, what I really think the solution is, and it's prayer. It's if we'll pray. And I want, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you. Man, I, I got so excited Wednesday night. There, there were 28 people here. I've been in, I've, I've facilitated prayer ministry for 15 years. Uh, and, and you rarely get a percentage like that of a body. It's just, it's unheard of. So we're obeying God, but I think we can do more, okay? I think we can take another step. And, and I want to just share something today. You may disagree with me when this is all said and done, and if that's okay, I love you, and, and you love me, and we'll just agree to disagree, okay? It won't, it won't make me not love you, and it won't offend me if you come up and say, no, I don't agree with you on that. I'll be okay, okay? Everybody all right? Okay. I believe that, that prayer is the most powerful weapon we have at our disposal as followers of Christ. I really believe that. And this morning we're just going to, we're going to talk about, we've been talking about kingdom prayer. And we're going to talk about empowering our prayers. Now I'm going to put my cell phone up here. I'm not waiting on a call, but I forgot my wristwatch, okay? For the first time 
since I've been in ministry, which is not a good sign anyway because I'm a little long-winded and I kind of sneak a peek every once in a while, so everything's cool. So I'm going to sneak a peek every once in a while, and if I go too long and somebody waves their arm at me, and I'll sneak another peek, all right? But I believe that prayer is the most powerful weapon we have. Most Christians don't believe that. Or they don't know that. But you know what? Prayer strikes fear in the heart of the devil. The enemy does not, he doesn't care if you read your Bible. He doesn't care how many teaching uh, tapes you listen to or CDs or how long you you have the iPod plugged in with teaching or preaching going on. He's not really, now worship music bothers him. But I'm going to tell you something, when a, a believer gets down on their knees, bows their head and begins to cry out to God, he begins to tremble. And you know why? Because, folks, when we do that, God moves. And He knows that. He knows that if you and I cry out to God, He knows that we've realized we've come to the end of ourselves and and we can't do it. He he realizes that. And He realizes that, that we've dialed in to the only one who can do it. And so it strikes fear in Him. Folks, prayer causes God to move. Prayer changes things when we pray God acts he moves now last week I talked about and we talked about that God answers our prayers basically for one reason primarily what is it because he loves us because he loves us it's not because we pray with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, not because we get on our knees, not because we quote the King James in our prayers or or whatever else. He answers our prayers because He loves us. And we we ended on a passage, and I want to pick up on this passage because I I think there's, there's something else here that we need to see. At the end of this passage, Jesus gives us, I think, the solution. So that we can, so that our prayers can be empowered. Okay? And I'm just going to share my heart this morning. Alright? I ain't got all this figured out. Uh, but I'm, 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 God's leading me down this road. Alright? In, in, in Luke 11, verse 11 through 13. Jesus, he's already told, if you remember last week, he told the story of the neighbor that, 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 that had a guest and went to his neighbor's house and the neighbor wouldn't help him, but because it was getting embarrassing, he got up and helped his neighbor because hospitality was a big deal. And then Jesus tells an even crazier story in the minds of his listeners. He says this, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He won't give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? Well, you know, obviously the answer to those questions was no. No, Jesus, are you kidding me? I wouldn't give my baby boy a snake if he was looking for fish. If you read in the Matthew passage, it talks about a stone and bread. I wouldn't give him a rock if if he asked for bread. He says... What about if he wanted an egg? Would you give him a scorpion? No, certainly not. And then Jesus says this, If you then, being evil, if if you being sinful, if you being sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, by implication, who is good, see, he's he's making a huge comparison there, you wicked and evil and sinful, Human beings, you do good things. You give your children good things. Well, how much more so will the father who has no sin, whom sin can't even get close to, will he not give good gifts? And then it says this, will he not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, a good father and a good mother feeds and takes care of their children. Amen? I mean, if you, if you don't feed your children and you don't take care of your children, you don't need to be a parent. I mean, that that's just common sense, okay? We have, you know, we have agencies and we have uh, laws in this country that, that try to take care of children and try to, and, and make sure that parents do it. And, and really, 
unless there's something wrong with you, or you're just, I mean, you're messed up on drugs, or you're just in absolute condition where you can't, the worst parent usually takes care of the kids. I mean, that's it's, a, it's just a normal thing. Food, and, and, and it gives them the strength they need. In Jesus' day, they ate fish, and they ate bread, and they ate eggs, okay? They ate vegetables. But that, that food that they would give their children gave them strength. I mean, it caused them to grow. It was necessary. It sustained them. It fended off their hunger and their sickness. It kept them from dying. And Jesus says, if, if you as parents would do that, how much more so will God do what you need to give you strength, to give you the power you need to help you do the things that, that he's called you to do? Jesus said that God would, would give the Holy Spirit to those who would ask. Now you remember a few verses up, he talks about asking and knocking and seeking. It's, it's interesting to me that for 13 and a half verses, Jesus is, t- is teaching his disciples about prayer. I mean, that's, that's what the passage up to this point's about. And all of a sudden, he mentions, mentions the gift of the Holy Spirit. Was Jesus changing gears? Was, did he just pull something out of the air? No. I believe Jesus has brought them to that place where he says, okay, if you want to see your prayers answered, now remember he, he started off, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. In other words, Jesus, give us that prayer that if we quote, God will move. And Jesus takes them through those stories. And he takes them through this last story to show them that it, it's, not a, it's not a learned prayer that moves God. And then he gets to the, the end of it and he makes a statement. How much more so shall your Father, your Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Folks, prayers without power are pointless. Okay, you must know that's kind of hard. You're just wasting your breath if you don't have any power to pray. I mean, that's why Jesus was saying that to his disciples. He's saying, there's... It's not a secret. I don't want to use that word, but that's just about the only word I can think of. The key, maybe that's a better way to put it. The key to God responding to your prayers is the Holy Spirit. He's the key. And and Jesus begins to talk about that. He wants them to understand that it's not proper phrasing. It's not techniques. It's not special words. It's not how loud you pray. It's not how emotional you get. I got to I gotta fight off what I want to say, okay? Because I'm, I'm thinking, it, well, I'm not going to say it. It's just, it, it don't matter how loud you cry or how hard you shout or if, whether you use the King James language or not. That doesn't make God move. Folks, the missing element, I believe, from their prayers at that time and for most of the prayers we offer today is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Prayers filled with the power of the Holy Spirit radically alter the atmosphere around us. It, it changes. It, I mean, you've heard of, of, of football players that when they come in the game, the game changes. They're game changers. The Holy Spirit's a game changer. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers our prayers. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, I believe that he's saying that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is essential in praying the will of God. And if, if we will pray the will of God to come. And his will to be done on earth. We need the Holy Spirit. If heaven's going to kiss earth. It's only be- going to be done when the Holy Spirit guides us. You see the Holy Spirit is the one who interprets. And translates God. Into a language we can understand. You realize that? Otherwise, we don't understand God. You can read this book until you memorize every word in it. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't open it up to you, 
What God wants to say is missed. Look, I know professors. I studied. I didn't study, thank God, with them, but I had to study about them. Who, who, who knew this book back and forth. But they didn't know God. And they arrived at a totally different place than this book was to lead them to. They were lost. Lost, lost, lost. Jesus says, he, t- he told the Pharisees, you look in this book thinking that you're going to find I, me, but I'm standing right here. It's not this book that gives us life. This book is a record. It's God's word, okay? And if we'll imply, implant it and put it in us and let the Holy Spirit take hold of us, it'll give us life. But Jesus is the one who gives life, not just words on a page. And so it's the Holy Spirit, folks, that, that, that takes this and, and, and makes it where we can understand it. You know, what I'm talking about is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm, I'm just going to back a step back and, and just explain some things because I want you to be clear about what I'm talking about. Empowerment's not indwelling. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Empowerment is not indwelling. Indwelling happens the moment that Jesus Christ saves us. The moment when when we receive that gift of eternal life, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit indwells us. Now, if you don't believe that, then you have to take that up with God because here's what Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, the last part of verse 9, it says, But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Jesus. Okay? That's just, that's Bible. In other words, if the Spirit of God is not within you, you don't belong to Jesus. He is, he is the defining mark. He is, he is what marks us. There's also a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, that talks a little bit more about the indwelling. It says, for by one Spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Whether Jew or Greek, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of the same Spirit. That verse there says that it's the Spirit of God that places us into the body of Christ. It's the Spirit of God who baptizes us. That's the word. The Spirit does the baptizing at this moment. And the word baptize means to plunge into, to immerse in. And so what what Paul is saying, it's, it's the Holy Spirit who puts you Into the body of Christ. And if the Holy Spirit does not baptize you into the body of Christ. You're not a believer. If he's not inside you. You don't know Jesus. Now that's indwelling. Okay. That's indwelling. Paul uses the illustration. And and as I was reading it this week. I thought well that's a pretty good illustration. As, As he talks about this indwelling. He uses the illustration of drinking. When you drink something what happens? You take something that's out here and you put it in here. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit indwells us. He goes from out here to in here. Jesus said he would be with us for how long? Forever. Forever means forever and ever and ever and ever. He never is taken away and he never leaves. Amen? Okay, at least we're all on the same point. My point is you can't be a Christian if you are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to listen to me, okay? You can be indwelt, but not necessarily empowered. Oh me, Nelson, you're walking in dangerous water right now. I'm just going to be honest with you. You can be indwelt and not empowered. Now, I was taught... From the beginning, that that indwelling and empowerment, all the same. You got everything, and I'm not talking about a second work. I'm not, listen to me. I'm not. I'm not talking about that. Okay, I'm talking about the completion of what God wants for every one of His children. Now, if you want to call it a second work, you call it whatever you want. I'm just going to take the Bible and show you what I believe Jesus was talking about to these disciples and the process that they went through. And what took place. You know what? 
You can be indwelt but not empowered. You can be headed for heaven. But not have the power to minister here on earth. You say, well, no, I don't believe that. Well, look around. Do you know believers that struggle and stumble and, and can't ever seem to get off the starting line? You say, well, yeah, that's, that's me. Well, hey, I understand. I've been there too. It's because they're not empowered. They're indwelt. They belong to Jesus. They're going to heaven. But they're not empowered to do what Jesus wants them to do. Don't you, you know, just, just stay with me a little while, okay? Look at the testimony of the church today. Look at our testimony. We go back and we read about the early church and we get excited. We look around in our communities. It's not that exciting, is it? There's a big difference than in the early church than today's church. I know all the excuses, okay? I've studied them, written papers on them, had to defend them. Well, I'm done defending them, okay? Done with that. The reason that things have changed is not because God has changed. It's because we've moved away from what God wants to do. Okay? Jesus, excuse me, John the Baptist was talking to his disciples. And in Luke chapter 3, 16, he says these words. Now, I'm kind of like this. When you read something one time in Scripture, that's enough. But if you see it more than once, you really need to pay attention to it. This shows up in the Gospel of Matthew, verse 11, uh, chapter 3, 11, 12. It shows up in Mark, verse 1, 7 and 8. It shows up in the book of Acts. In either, I think it's chapter 1. This, this same quote. John says, as for me. He's talking about the baptism that, that he's a part of. He says, as for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who's mightier than I am. And I'm not even fit to untie the thongs of his sandals, the shoes. He. Now, who's he talking about? Jesus. Can we all agree on that? It's Jesus. Jesus will baptize you with the Spirit, in the Spirit, by the Spirit. The same word, okay? The same Greek word. It means in, by, or with. Ever how you want to translate it. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, and he's going to baptize you with fire. Okay, now is that what it says? I went this week and using what little bit of Greek skills I got, that's how it translates right out. Okay, roughly, that's how that's how I translate it. That's how the Bible scholars have translated. That's what it means. Jesus is going to baptize us with with or in or by the Holy Spirit. Now, it was the Holy Spirit who baptized us into the body of Christ when we were indwelt. Amen. Y'all all with me. I want you to try it with me. This is not the same. See, the Holy Spirit was the, was the baptizer when we got saved, when we were indwelt. But folks, when we're empowered, it's Jesus who will do the filling, who will do the baptizing, who will do the plunge. And, and what he's saying is he's going, he's going to plunge us into power. He's going to plunge us. He's going to, he's going to pour it out on us. And that's, that's what this text is saying. John's saying, there's somebody coming after me that when he does it, you're not going to have to wonder whether or not you've got power or not. It'll be obvious. And so, it's Jesus. Now, I believe that the, this, this feeling, you can call it a feeling if you want to, because the Bible does. On the day of Pentecost, this is the word that they used. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It does not say they were all baptized with the Holy Spirit. I made sure this morning before I came. I went back and looked in the Greek text, and it's the word filled. It's not the word baptized. But it's the same idea, okay? It uses the term interchangeably in Scripture. And so this is, this is the filling or the baptism or the plunging, the empowerment. If you want to use that word, it's okay. So that they could pray like Jesus. I think that's what Jesus was saying in Luke chapter 11. You want to pray like I pray? 
then you need to realize that God loves you just as much as he loves you. And that he will give you the spirit just like he's given me the spirit. That's what Jesus was saying in that passage of about 14 verses. That was his point. If you'll pray and you'll go after God's heart, you know what? You'll find out God loves you just like he loves me. And he'll answer your prayers just like he answers mine because you have the Holy Spirit. But you need to ask for him. You need to cry out to God for that Holy Spirit to come and empower you. Now, if you read the the accounts of Jesus, how many of you would agree? And I'm not trying to lead you into a, a place you don't want to go. But how many of you would, you would agree that Jesus is our example? Okay, the Bible says that that literally Jesus came to show us who the Father is. In other words, when Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen what? The Father. So Jesus was a living example, a breathing example of who God is in spirit. Jesus displayed him in flesh. And if, if, we, do what, if, if, if we follow Jesus' example, then we can do what Jesus did. Amen? That's what it says in John chapter 14. Now, you read the accounts of the Gospels. You read the story of Jesus. Jesus never did one miracle, not one, until after John baptized him and the Spirit of God descended on him and rested on him. Okay, now, there are some books that claim he, when he was a little boy, he turned rocks into birds and all kinds of stuff, but the Bible does not record that. You know the reason it doesn't? Because he didn't do anything. He didn't have, he was not empowered yet. See, Jesus is God. Amen? You've heard me say this over and over and over. Jesus is God. 100%. And there was never a moment when he, when he entered the world out of, out of Mary's womb, he was 100% God at that moment. Never changed a bit. But at that, at that moment when he was conceived, when, when, when God united with flesh, he also became 100% man. I, I don't know how to explain that other than that's what Scripture teaches. And I believe that everything Jesus did, once he, he, God united with flesh, He did, as a man, guided by the Holy Spirit. Okay, because if He did anything as God, you and I cannot do the works that He did. Think about that. Jesus said, The works I've done, you can do. And greater things, things I hadn't even done yet, you can do. Well, if Jesus did anything as God, I can't do those things. Let that roll around a little bit, okay? Just, just, I'm not trying to lead you anywhere you don't want to go, but that's, that's what he was saying. Now, Jesus, so Jesus had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He had to have the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he did. When he comes up out of that water, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove and rested on him. And Jesus went directly into his ministry. He was Spirit-filled. Okay? Just, he was filled with the Spirit. Not all the other stuff that this group or that group or this group that doesn't believe it says it is just just simply he was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit rested on him. He was empowered. Now if Jesus is our example, then why do we have such a hard time with this? Why do we struggle with this so much? Because folks, we've been taught a works, not a works salvation. But after salvation, everything we've been taught is works. If you'll just work hard enough, if you'll just read the Bible long enough, if you'll just pray this way and that way, God will move. Well, folks, God has not changed. This is his plan A. This was what Adam was supposed to do. He was to trust God, love God, believe God, and follow God's Spirit. Jesus comes to re-establish that pattern. He's the last Adam. Not the second one, but the last one. There won't be another one after him. You know why? Because he established the pattern and worked it 
to completion. He, he completed it. He fulfilled it. Now listen to what Jesus says as he, as he gets ready to die. And he's preparing his disciples that night. In John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, he says, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper. Another helper. Another, not one who's different from me. See, another can mean somebody who's different. This particular word means one who is just like me. Another of the same kind. He uses the word helper, one who will come alongside to help you, one who will come alongside to empower you. So what he's saying is, I'm going to give you someone who will come up beside you and empower you so that he will be with you forever. And he's called the Spirit of Truth. That's John chapter 14, 16, and 17. Now, if you'll just look back a few verses, this verse goes with some verses that preceded it. One of them happens to be the one I keep quoting to you. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you'll do the things I've done, the works I've done, and even greater works. And whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Do you see, we divide those things out, and we want to take this verse and use it here, and that verse over here. They go together. They are joined by the word and, which means there's a continuation. You want to do my works? Then ask. You want want to see my works come to fruition in your life? Then you're going to need what I'm going to send you. Y'all with me? Okay. So, it, it's really just a continuation of what Jesus is trying to, to teach them. What Jesus is saying in, in John chapter 14 verse 16 is the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to interpret what I've taught you. He's going to apply it in your life so that you'll understand what God wants. He's telling his disciples this and by extension he's telling us this. The work of the Holy Spirit didn't change just because 2,000 years have passed. With the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, without it, you know what? I don't know what the will of God is. Okay, I'm not a rocket scientist, but neither are most of us in here, and it really doesn't matter if you are a rocket scientist. Without the Holy Spirit guiding you, you can't interpret, you can't discern what God's will is. You say, well, I've got the book. Wear it out. If you don't have the Holy Spirit guiding you, you're not going to know what God means. This is spiritual meat. And so we have to, the Holy Spirit has to interpret it. We have to interpret it through His eyes. He has to show us. Folks, the Holy Spirit interprets, He translates God's heart. And you've heard me say this if we know God's heart, we know God's will. Amen? If we pray God's will, what happens? You'll answer it. But we don't take the time to to know God's will, so we tack on, God, if it's your will. Lord, if this is your will, I leave you a way out, a door out, just in case. Folks, that don't work. This is the only way our prayers get answered, is if the Holy Spirit empowers us. Because otherwise, we're just, I mean, we're flinging them out there. I mean, we're, we're throwing things at heaven left and right and hoping something will stick. Folks, it was the Holy Spirit who breathed these words. This, this book is, is God-breathed. You know who the breath of God is? The Spirit of God. The word in the Old Testament for spirit is ruach. It means breath, spirit, wind. The word in the New Testament is pneuma. Guess what it means? Breath, spirit, wind. Jesus made two very interesting statements in John chapter 16. I'm going to share those with you. In John chapter 16, verse 13 through 15, Jesus says this. 
But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. For he won't speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he'll disclose it or he'll reveal to you what is to come. He shall glorify me. For he shall take of mine and disclose it to you. He'll reveal it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to interpret and reveal. He's going to unveil whatever word you want to use. He's going to pull back the sheet so we can see what belongs to God, what belongs to Jesus. They're the same things, what belong to us. That's what he says there in in John chapter 16. Then he says this in verse 23 and 24 of John 16. In that day you'll ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask now and you'll receive that your joy may be full. What Jesus is saying is, is that the Holy Spirit's going to enable us, He's going to empower us to understand the things of Jesus and then ask those things by using Jesus' name. Now I want you to understand something. To ask in Jesus' name is to ask the Father as if you or I were Jesus. That's what it means. I want you to think about that. When we pray in Jesus' name, It's as though Jesus is asking for this. That's that's what it means here. You ask for what you need in Jesus' name. Folks, we've been authorized to use His name. Let me put it this way. He has signed a check that has no amount in the amount line. He signed His name on the bottom, filled in the bank that's going to cash it, dated it, and said, you know what? You fill in the amount you need. That's what that means. Now, the problem is, without the Holy Spirit, I don't even know what to write in the amount line. You say, buddy, I do. I know what I'd write. Well, you waste yours then, okay? Because he ain't going to answer that. He's waiting for us to put on the Holy Spirit, so that we can see clearly. See, glasses are really neat. If I take these off, I see you, but I don't see you very well. Folks, that's the way we pray. But when we put on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, or maybe this would be a better way, when the the Holy Spirit puts himself on us, when he fills us like a, a hand in a glove, we start to see more clearly. Folks, in Jesus' name is not some magical formula we tack on the end of our prayers. It really does mean something. It it means we know Jesus, God. And Jesus said that we could come to you and we could ask for what we needed in His name. That's why we don't pray, God, if it's your will. You and I are supposed to know the will of God. Well, how are we supposed to know the will of God? Because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. But folks, it won't happen if we're not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Listen to the question Jesus asks his disciples there at the end of Luke chapter 11 verse 13. How much more so will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Those who ask Him. Those who ask Him. It seems to me, the key is, we're supposed to ask Him. Well, that wasn't what I was taught when I... I was taught that you get everything. I'm not saying you don't get everything. I'm just saying you won't get the empowerment Unless you ask for it. How many of you realize that that if you have a bank account, there are certain things that your bank offers that they put in little bitty tiny print. And unless you read the little bitty tiny print, you don't ever know about it. 
Therefore, it doesn't benefit you very much. Amen? But if you read it and say, hey, what about this? Oh, yeah, we'll do that. How many of you realize that if you go to Walmart and take a coupon from a competitor, they'll match it? But if you don't ever take it out and ask for it, they won't match it. They'll charge you twice as much if they need to. Amen? I, I don't just mean Walmart. I'm, I'm not, but any store. You have to ask. Folks, you can't pray with power unless you're empowered to pray. Now let me check my time, see where I'm at. Okay, I'm right on it. Okay. You may not think so, but I am. Now, for us to pray that way, we have to know what Jesus would ask for. Because Jesus has demonstrated the perfect will of God. Okay? I take the verses that John's just shared with us. For me to know what Jesus meant, I've got to have the Holy Spirit to interpret it for me. Amen? I mean, I'm not trying to lead you somewhere the Bible doesn't direct us. It doesn't guide us to. Okay. The key to what I'm trying to say here in in, in Luke chapter 11 verse 13 is, is that Jesus wanted his disciples to understand the key to praying in God's will. God loves you. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to give you what you need. Here's the key that unlocks heaven's gates. It's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who has the key to the storehouses in heaven. If you'll listen to him, he, you will insert the key and turn it every time the doors will spin open and God will answer. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples there. Not that you've got to use a phrase. Not that you, there's, a, there's a certain position you've got to be in. Not that there's some kind of proclamation it's not a proclamation, folks. It's a person. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, later when Jesus was crucified, something very interesting happened. The first time, well, he appeared several times, but on the e- evening of Easter, he appeared to his disciples. They were all there except for one. Does anybody know who it wasn't there? Thomas. The rest of them were there. And and there's something that we miss, I think, that took place there. Or we've had it explained away for us because nobody really understands exactly what Jesus was doing. But in John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, he appears to his disciples and and he shows them the wounds in his hands. He shows them the wounds in his side. And see, you remember Thomas? Thomas wasn't there. He didn't get to see them. And we all call Thomas a doubting, a doubting Thomas because he wanted to touch them. Well, he didn't get to see them like the other 11, I mean, 10 did. The, the other one's dead, so there's only 11 disciples left. Jesus, at the end of that, says this. Jesus, in verse 20, I mean, chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. Jesus... Therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. He'd already said that when he first arrived. Peace be with you. But Jesus speaks his peace again. Shalom. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, what do we, what do we call that? The Great Commission. Amen. That, that's just an a abbreviated version of Matthew 28. I've sent you, as I've sent you, you go. And when he had said this, look what it says now. He breathed on them. That's what it says. I didn't make that up. He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Folks, I'm going to tell you what I think it means. All right? This is just what I think it means. I've studied it left, right. I've been told it meant something totally different what I'm going to share. Okay? I believe at that moment those ten disciples in that room were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
You say, well, that took place on Pentecost. That took place. If that's what you believe, I'm okay with that. It's all right. But I don't believe that's what took place. I believe they were indwelt by the Spirit. And I know, I don't know if I can go there. Well, go back to Genesis. This is not going to be on the screen here because God just gave it to me this morning. Go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. God's, in a sense, playing in the dirt. He gets through, he steps back, and there's a, there's a, a creature there. There's a dirt man there. A soil man. That's all that's there. He's shaped like we're shaped, but he's dirt. Adama. Soil. Red soil. And the Bible says God breathed in him the breath of life. The ruach. That's the word. You can interpret it breath. You can interpret it wind. You can interpret it spirit. I believe it was the Spirit of God. Because it was the Spirit of God that brooded over the earth. And brought life to the earth. See the Son, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit were all a part of creation. So so God breathes into this dirt man. And the Bible says what? He becomes a living soul. He, he, He comes to life. Now just hold that place. Go to Ezekiel. Chapter 37. Ezekiel's wandering around a valley. And that valley is filled with what? Dry bones. They're scattered everywhere. God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. Speak to the bones what you hear me say. And so Ezekiel begins to obey God. God says, tell them to come together. Tell them to get up. And what happens? The jawbone connected to the whatever bone. You know the song. They just start, I mean, it's like an Indiana Jones movie, okay? They just start to attach. But the Bible says they come together. There's life. I mean, there's, there's skin, there's sinew. There's a great army there, but what are they? They're lifeless. And what does God tell Ezekiel to do? Speak to the wind. Speak to the ruach. That's the word. And command it to come from the four directions. Speak to the Spirit. I, I believe it was the Spirit. Okay, and I'll show you why I believe that. And so Ezekiel, I mean, he didn't know what else to do. He's already done what blew his mind. I mean, you just put yourself in Ezekiel's place. If you'd spoken to dry bones and they'd got up and skin had grown on them, you could have gone home on that and been forever happy. Amen? But that wasn't what God wanted. God wanted all of it there. So he wanted everything. Without life in them, they were useless. They were powerless. And so he says, Ezekiel, speak to the ruach, to the wind, to the, to the spirit, to the breath, and tell it to come. And so Ezekiel just rears back and he does it. All of a sudden they come alive. Listen to what God says in, in Ezekiel thirty-seven fourteen. He, he, he applies that, that picture that, that he's just been, his prophetic picture, and he says, you know what? I will put my spirit in you. Just like the breath, the spirit has come into these bodies. Folks, I believe, I, you know, like I said, we're going to love each other and move on. But I believe that's what took place there. In that upper, in that room, that afternoon, I believe God, He breathed the Spirit into them. Okay, you say, well, I just can't believe that's what happened. Well, you know what? Where were these guys prior to this? They were hiding for their lives. Where do they go after this? They go to an upper room. Well, first they go to they go to they go to Galilee, where Jesus meets them again. Then they go with him. They're all over the place. And then after he ascends into heaven, where do they go? They go to a room. And what do they do? They start praying. What do they start praying for? The promise. The promise. Listen, he, 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 Jesus indwelt them, I believe, at that moment with his spirit. And then 40 days later, before he ascends into heaven, this is what he says. Now, I'm going I'm to start quoting a verse. And we'll stop in the middle of that verse and see what the promise is, okay? We're going we're gonna to jump into the Old Testament, so stay with me. 
And Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. What promise? What promise? The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Look, at, look in your Bibles to Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. This is the promise. And it will come about after this, that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind and all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even on your male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's the promise Jesus is talking about. So he says, and behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. This is Luke chapter 24, verse 49. But you are to stay in the city, in Jerusalem, until you're clothed with power, until you're empowered from on high. Now, Here's the thing. We want to separate the gospel of Luke from the Acts. Luke wrote both of them. All right? Acts is a sequel to Luke. Luke is writing those two books to a man named Theophilus, which means God lover, so that he will understand what Jesus did and how the disciples were empowered and what's gone on since. Okay, y'all with me? It's a continuation. The book of Acts is a continuation of the sequel of, of Luke. Listen to the finish of what Jesus says right before he ascends into heaven in Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 4 and 5, and then verse 8. I'm going to skip to verse 8. And then gathering together, them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Seems like he's already said that. Amen. Said that back in Luke, didn't he? But wait for what the Father has promised. The reason that there's that that connection is because Luke is picking up immediately. At the end of his gospel, he's picking up again, same train of thought. This is what the Father has promised, which, he said, you have heard from me. In other words, I've explained this to you. For John was baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Is that not the same thing that John the Baptist said? Y'all gonna have to, I'll have to go back and cover all this again if, if, if you ain't listening. This is exactly what John said. Jesus is now saying, I'm about to fulfill that. I'm about to pour out my Spirit. And so he says then in verse 8, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when that takes place, you'll be witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Folks, those disciples saw Jesus die. And they headed for the bushes. Okay? They saw Jesus alive. And they were kind of halfway convinced something's going on. But when Jesus pours the Spirit of God out on them that day in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, they cut the rope loose from the ship. They weren't hiding in the bushes anymore. The same guys who were, who, the same man, Peter, who was afraid when a, a little girl confronted him and said, hey, you're one of those Galileans. You, you're with Jesus. No, no, not me, not me. He stood before the Sanhedrin, the same men who voted to put Jesus to death and said, you know, you can do whatever you want with me, but I'm going to preach what I have seen and what I have heard. What happened? The Holy Spirit happened. The empowerment happened. And all of a sudden, this this man who trembled in his shoes, he's not afraid of anything. And eventually, he gets to that place in Rome where they they say, hey, we're fixing to kill you. We're going to crucify you. And he says, you know what? I don't deserve to die like my master. Crucify me upside down. Who does that? Somebody that's full of the Holy Spirit. So what did the disciples do? They waited 10 days. They didn't drink Coke, smoke cigarettes, tell stories, okay? They prayed. They prayed. What, did, what were they praying? 
exactly what Jesus told them to pray in Luke chapter 11. God, send us the Holy Spirit. Send us. We, we need the Holy Spirit. God, we're not, we're not capable in ourselves without your Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, and I don't have time to get into all that, God didn't wait 10 days so they could beg themselves hoarse. Pentecost, you study it sometimes. It's the first fruits. It's, 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 it's a lot of things. It's a lot of symbol. That's why he sent it on Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 4. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting. The Ruach, the Numa came. Just, just like in Ezekiel. I, and I'll guarantee you, if, if you had been there and could have stood on the hill when, when God went into Adam, it, it was the same thing. All right? And there appeared to them tongues of fire to strip themselves. Jesus said, I'm going to baptize you in what? The Spirit and fire. And it distributed and they rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them others. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, these men and women who had been indwelt were now filled. And what happens? Read the book of Acts. It continues until today. They went out and they became witnesses. They begin to pray prayers like Jesus prayed and they begin to see those prayers answered. They begin to minister like Jesus ministered and see things miraculous take place. They, they went into all the world. Every one of them except for John died a horrible, violent death. And John died of, of old age and he spent a long time on a prison island. Okay, so it wasn't, I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, I'm not going to say what I just thought, but it wasn't a cakewalk. Why? Because they had received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Folks, these disciples were filled. Or if you want to use the term baptized, it, it's, it's biblical. Filled's biblical. Literally, they were immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. They were empowered to carry the gospel to the world. They were empowered to do the works that Jesus did. They were empowered to pray like Jesus did. They were empowered to write checks that only the bank of heaven could cash. They began to fill in amounts that only God could get out of his back pocket. See, no bank on earth could cash the checks they begin to write. So what's missing today? What's wrong? One plus one equals two. We're indwelt. But not all of us are empowered. If I want to be empowered, then all I have to do is ask. Just ask. When I'm in my quiet time, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. When I'm facing a, 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 an issue that, that I don't know what to do and nor how to stand against it, what do I do, God? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. You see, there are many feelings. That's what Scripture says. You read, you tell, you read Acts. Over and over and over, these same men that God breathed on, that the Spirit of God rested on, it says, and they were filled. And they were filled. And they were filled. Folks, we need the filling. We need the baptism, if you want to use that word, of the Holy Spirit. So that we can be empowered to pray prayers that touch God. That get to heaven. You see, there's a passage of Scripture. And this is not in my notes today. So I'm not going to be able to tell you where it's at. I think it's in Romans. It says that when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. I would offer this to you. Even when we know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Jesus is on the right hand of the Father. Scripture says He is ever making intercession for us. Intercession is just another word for prayer. So the Spirit of God's praying in us. The Holy, I mean, God, Jesus is praying for us. Guess what happens when that prayer gets into the presence of God? God moves and God answers because it's the will of God. Folks, we need the empowerment. When we come to God like little kids, 
God, we need, we need bread today. God doesn't chunk a rock at us. We say, God, I need a fish today. God doesn't sling a snake at us. Now, some of us believe he does, but he doesn't. We need an egg. God doesn't say, here, take a scorpion. It'll do you. No, God gives us exactly what we need. He's given us the Holy Spirit so we'd know exactly how to pray. Folks, the only way that our prayers can be empowered, the only way that we can see God's will done in he- on earth as it is in heaven is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're seeing your prayers answered, you don't need to ask for this. But if you're like me, the line's forming right here. Okay? I want to see more of my prayers answered. I want to be sure when I open my mouth and pray that I'm asking for exactly what God already has chosen to give me. See, God's already, He's already put it up there waiting on me to ask for it. I want to be empowered by the Spirit. Folks, I'm not afraid of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be afraid. He, he's the he's the, the one who comes along beside us and puts his arm under our arm and leads us and guides us into Jesus. See, we're not afraid of Jesus. He's the little baby in the manger. Folks, read the book of Revelation. He is the God who's coming back with eyes that are blazing, whose body is, is like burnished brass. He's a rainbow around his head, you, you name it, it's there, sword coming out of his mouth. He's not the little baby in the manger anymore. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And folks, we can write checks with his name already signed on it if we'll just trust the Holy Spirit and we'll ask him to come. Come. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.